You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. exciting news. I built an app. I know, right? Crazy. It's called the one-on-one app where we help you become 1% better together. It's an app that helps you break down your goals, achieving your habits and incremental steps. And it helps you celebrate your progress and your momentum with streaks, check-ins, milestones. And with our multi-dimensional approach to a balanced lifestyle, we really help you become 1% better together. So go download it. It's a free app. It'll be linked below. It's only for iOS right now. We're working on getting it in Google Play. But I really believe that this is a -a one-of-a-kind mental health and wellness app that is truly groundbreaking. To give you some like perspective, it's like Noom, but for habit building. And I'm really excited to share this with you. And I'm really excited to get your feedback. So if you download it, you enjoy it, leave us a review. Thank you so much. And on to the episode. We launched our newsletter. Some of you may have already seen the first couple of emails that went out. I'm super proud of this newsletter. I really wanted to give you actionable advice, targeted advice for getting unstuck in really any facet of your life. Also, you keeping up to date with deals, new products, new events, etc. Below, you can opt in. These will not be like any other emails that you receive. They're actually really fun to read. So definitely check it out and let me know what you want to hear in our next newsletter. If you'd like to receive our newsletter, there'll be a link to opt in in the show notes. Now on to the episode. Today, I'm joined by Troy Farkas. Troy is a podcast producer. He was formerly with ESPN and now is with Spotify. And he took a slight deviation in his career and decided to write a book. Troy released the book, Surrender, A Guide to Living Your Best Life in Your 20s. Well, the title speaks for itself. I'm really, really excited to get into this conversation. Now on to the episode. Troy, thanks for joining us today. How's your day going? Thank you for having me. It's been a hectic day. I'm here at the Spotify Boston offices. I just ran across town to record an episode of my podcast, came back to the office, then I recorded a podcast for Spotify. But I love the grind. I love the hustle. So this does not feel like work to me. I think I have the most ridiculous life and career. <laughs> no, right? It's just like, put a mic in front of me and let's talk. Like, yeah. uh, what, what punishment is that? Right. I really love the topic that you've chosen, which is where you're talking about in your book, Surrender, A Guide to Living Your Best Life in Your 20s. Really excited to dive into that. But before we do that, for those of us that are maybe not familiar with you, give us a little bit about your background and really like what was this journey like to becoming an author? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So I come from upstate New York. That's where I grew up. I come from a family of media people, my mom and dad, newspaper writers and editors. So the whole media thing kind of in the blood grew up having conversations, not about the weather or the news, but about punctuation and sentence structure (laughs) and stuff. So I never really wanted to get into the family business, but it just kind of happened. I majored in US history just because I really liked learning about history. I'm a history nerd. Hope to win Jeopardy one day. That's the real dream. But it fell into the media thing. Went to the University of Albany, did a whole bunch of student media, TV, radio, newspaper, had some really good internships there at uh, the local ESPN radio affiliate. I interned at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, which was really cool for the history nerds, sports nerd, and media nerd in me. And somehow graduated 
in three years, studied abroad, and got a job at ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut, the national, the mothership right outside of college. I'm still not quite sure how that happened. I got a job at ESPN Radio as a production assistant, just doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work. And then I got out of that after about two years, transitioned over to ESPN's podcasting department and started working with some really big-name talent with some podcasts, producing them that were massive shows, really big followings in, in NBA and MLB and also in the UFC. And then I left ESPN at the beginning of 2021 And that kind of started the whole next chapter of my life, working remotely, traveling a bunch, living in a bunch of new places, starting my own podcast production company centered around MMA podcasts, and then eventually landing at The Ringer slash Spotify at the end of 2021, which is where I am now and loving life. And yeah, I started writing a book when I left ESPN. I didn't know it was going to be a book. I was just kind of writing some blog posts Then after a couple of them, I was like, wait, you know what? I've always wanted to write a book. The stuff I'm doing kind of feels like this could become a book. I like this format. And so on and off throughout the last two plus years, I've been writing this thing. I could have been way more efficient with it. I could have, if I hunkered down, you know, I could have written and published it probably in more so like an eight to 12 month timeline. But you deal with the self-doubt, you deal with the insecurity, am I good enough? Who wants to read this? All of those questions come to your mind. And then, of course, other life things come up that delay the process. But I got surgery last year for a a hip issue that had been plaguing me for a while. So it was during recovery where I said to myself, you know what? I'm going all in on this. I am putting the finishing touches on this. I'm reworking it, going through a bunch of edits, bunch of rounds, and I'm going to make this legit, make this dream into a reality. Growing up in the media household and writing my entire life, whether that's letters to friends or short stories or writing prompts in the morning or my journal, blog posts. I've been writing my whole life and a book has always been a dream of mine. One of three professional goals that I've ever had for myself and proud to say I'm now an author. Congratulations on that. I know that that process is crazy. Uh, We got a firsthand look when I helped Tori launch her book and it is quite the journey. I always ask the background because I always grab something right. We find some commonality. I chuckled when you talked about your parents and grammar and uh, (laughs) my mom's in the same boat, author, attorney, like editing a high school paper was a task. Uh, and I loved that. That was so funny. And then history too. Love history. Oh yeah. ESPN. I also laugh because my uncle Mark Spears uh, love him to death. That's your uncle. Uh, yeah, play uncle. But I've known him my whole life, wow. and I totally know what that world is over there in ESPN. Yeah. It's really fun, super fast pace, and I could totally see how you could thrive there, and also get a lot of inspo for a book, which is super yeah. cool. And where I kind of want to transition next because you know writing a book is one of the biggest things you can do, not only just from a career accomplishment, but like you mentioned, it really, really challenges your imposter syndrome. It really, really challenges right your worthiness. And it's a really weird thing that you wouldn't think happens, but I love that you said like, who the hell is going to read this? It's a very natural thing. And personally, I'm in the process of writing a book as well. And Amazing. at the very beginnings of it, and that is all I'm feeling in right now. It's a lot of journal writing, a lot of unpacking things I didn't know was there. So when you were thinking about writing this book, 
Why did you choose to focus on basically a survival guide for your 20s? Like, yeah. what was the inspo? Where did that come from? It's something I've really been obsessed with my entire adult life, all, you know, all nine years of it. Uh, <laughs> when I entered the professional world, or rather shortly before I graduated from college, my life was changed by this documentary that was recommended to me by an ex-girlfriend. It's a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism a documentary about the important things. This film, which was directed and hosted by these two guys who were suit-and-tie corporate guys, their names Josh and Ryan, they had six-figure salaries, had the fancy cars, the clothes, the multiple homes, the dream vacations. They had everything that we're supposed to want. But then their lives equally kind of at the same time came crashing down because of their overconsumption and forced them to ask mm. all these questions about their lives. They eventually became minimalists, which minimalism is stripping down your life to what's most essential, whether that's possessions, things, whatever. But it's really about being intentional. And that film kind of changed my life, made me think about things that I never really thought about before that wasn't an emphasis in my childhood, which was, well, how do you get the most out of your life? How do you extract the most from your potential? What can you do beyond just checking the boxes and the accomplishments. And so that really kind of set me down a rabbit hole that I'm still on about how to extract the most from your life. Throughout my 20s, I've just constantly been reading, writing, reading philosophy, reading ancient texts, reading modern interpretations of ancient texts, and traveling the world and having conversations and listening. I love listening to people. And just really trying to form based on a bunch of other people's approaches to life, forming my own and figuring out the best way to do this. And your 20s are a chaotic time. They're so contradictory. You want one thing, you have one path for yourself that you envision on Friday and then on Sunday, you want the complete opposite. And you go through all these existential crises. Am I working the right job? Am I in the right place? Do I have the right partner? Am I surrounded by the right people? You never know if you're doing it right. There is no guidebook. That was kind of the inspiration for this book was I was a lost and confused and lonely and depressed 21, 22-year-old. This book is for that person. This book is for the person who doesn't know what they're doing with their lives, who doesn't know what their mission is or what their passion or what their purpose is, who feels directionless. This book, I hope, can be that for them. I absolutely love that. And you mentioned something that I think is really important. And one of those areas that is probably the hardest in your 20s, which is really looking around at others who are doing what you may think you want to do, while also keeping your identity intact and not just doing it because it looks cool. I think that's one of the hardest things personally in my 20s that I had to reconcile was drawing inspo without being taken over by it. Mm, yeah. And I'm really happy that you kind of spoke about that. So how do you balance that? How do you create an identity essentially by learning from others without becoming the other? I think that is where a lot of people get stuck. And I want to hear a little bit more about that, but I have a follow-up to that as well. Yeah. So it's a really good question because I think you can easily fall into the copycat game 
And so my answer to that is just to diversify. I think mm. I think diversify. <laughs> Love great answer. <laughs> diversifying is a good answer to a lot of questions in life. Mm. I, yeah. I try not to mimic, like the minimalists, for example, that I spoke to. I love those guys. I adore those guys. And some of the other guys in that space, there's a guy, Colin Wright, who's inspired me a lot. But I've tried not to copy them and follow their exact journey and their exact template. I've taken bits and pieces from them, but I also have from... Ryan Holiday, who is one of my favorite authors, from Gary Vaynerchuk, who all of you know from social media, from Rachel Cruz, who works in like the finance space, a bunch of different people I've taken. And then just people in my own life, people that I know, my best friend, Ben, is he inspires me. He's my hero. There's so many people in my life that I've taken little bits and pieces from to form my own unique perspective. But definitely like this is why... I say, you know, you should listen to several podcasts, not just one. You should follow many influencers, not just one, because you don't want to just blindly follow one person because you will inevitably, whether you intend to or not, kind of become a spitting image of that person. And that's something to avoid. Absolutely. And I want to add to that. It's kind of like the last step that I've learned later in my 20s, which is there's a moment when you have to stop consuming and it goes a little bit to your minimalism. Once you've drawn inspo, once you've researched, learned... There's a moment where you have to disconnect and just live your life and work with the ebbs and flows of your life and work with what you have in front of you. I think that is where a majority of my audience, when I hear testimonials or when I hear just general feedback, there's this moment where you have to gain this confidence to do it on your own no matter what. And I think that is a huge area that when writing a book or when putting out any piece of content does is it really challenges you. It's like you're on your own. So I think as a piece of that kind of unplugging, but also creating on your own is really, really important. And when you think about now your book, talk us through some of the bigger points in there. And just to get a little more pointed, what were some of like the common misconceptions that people in their 20s were feeling as you did your research? Like what were some of those themes that you kind of touch on in the book? I think the biggest misconception about it is that your 20s are supposed to be the best decade of your life and that you're supposed to have it all figured out in your 20s. Wait, it's not? I don't think so. I think (laughs) any decade could be the best period in your life. But I think everyone thinks, you know, this is the time to party, you know, to rise up in your career and like, like whatever. Supposed to be the best decade of your life. What I posit in this book is that this doesn't have to be the best decade of your life. What it is, is the most important decade of your life. And here's why. It's the foundation. It's the foundation for the rest of your life. Mm, Now, you can reinvent yourself at any point, but as time goes on, your ability to do that becomes harder. It's an indirect relationship. In your 20s is when you're most malleable. It's when you're most curious. Your brain stops fully developing around age 26 or 27, so you are very capable of taking in new information, forming new habits, different perspectives, new viewpoints. As time goes on, you can probably see it in our parents, for example. You become very stuck in your ways. If you've never exercised before at age 49, it's very unlikely you're going to pick that up unless you suddenly develop extreme amounts of discipline and motivation, which is hard to find. This book is full of habits and life lessons really for anyone, at anyone at, at any age. But I'm targeting people in their 20s because I want you to develop these habits now. This knowledge about your career and about networking and about 
like philosophy and, and professional happiness and what to look for in a job and what to look for in a partner. All that stuff I'm just trying to inculcate to people while they're most impressionable because as time goes on, it's harder to learn those things. No, and it's super important, and that's a really astute point. And I can point myself back to about five or six books that I really can put myself back to being like, this was really key in me understanding this concept or me really feeling like I can go after X, Y, and Z. Something you said that I wanted to kind of spend a little more time on is this correlation between success and reinventing yourself. Mm. One of the biggest things that I've learned, something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, is really defining what success means to you but not overly defining it to a point where it can't move or change. And you touched on it. When you think about a 20-year-old or someone in your 20s, 30s, 40s, each of those levels, you're able to find success and reinvent yourself. I think where people get stuck is not giving themselves the ability to redefine what success means for them in that given moment. In my early 20s, success meant becoming a millionaire by 30. Approaching my 30s, success today means time freedom, retiring early, children, homeownership, having a wonderful marriage that's good most days. Like the list goes on. It's way more to your really great point. I loved it because I love investing too. Diversification is key. So when you're thinking about reinventing yourself, I think success is a part of it. But what are some of the other elements that you think come into play where people struggle with reinventing themselves or feeling like they can't? I think it's insecurity. Mm. People are so self-conscious these days. They always have been. It's a part of human nature, but more so these days because so many of our lives are out on full display on social media, on YouTube, on TikTok, wherever. We're all kind of acting in a way. And I think people are very concerned with how they're perceived. So they don't act. They don't post on LinkedIn. They don't post on Instagram, whatever. We compare you know, this is like keeping up with the Joneses, just the modern era. We see the vacations our friends are going on, the children that our friends of friends are having. The list goes on to the ways we compare ourselves. I think people are very insecure, afraid to be fully themselves. And that is holding a lot of us back. One of my favorite entries in the book is something I actually picked up from Taylor Swift. She, she gave a commencement speech. <laughs> Shout out to all the Swifties out we there. We love the Swifties. And she said, everything that you do is cringe. And I, I laughed at that. And I internalized that as saying, well, we always look back on pictures from three years ago and say to ourselves, gosh, why, why did I wear that? Why did I think that was cool? Yeah. I listen back to podcasts of mine from three years ago. I will certainly look back on this book in a couple of years and say to myself, gosh, why? who did I think I was that <laughs> I could say that? I don't even believe yeah. that anymore. Yeah. So my biggest fear in life is, is living with regret. But if you're going to look back anyway and regret what you said, why not say? Because also, if you don't say it, in the moment, you regret it too. So either way, you're going to regret it. It's just a matter of, (laughs) do you regret it now or do you regret it later? So I'm fully gone in on and why I wrote this book and why I'm putting out videos on YouTube and social media, even though I I feel cringe in the moment, even doing it sometimes. And I do feel self-conscious. How can you not? I push back against that inner voice and say, this is my message. This is what I have to do. These are my goals and my dreams in life. This is what fulfills me. This is what I have to do. And I'm getting over that insecurity because I know that ability to overcome that voice is what ultimately can separate you from 
an exceptional life to just an average life. No, I, and I really appreciate that. And it's a good segue. When you think back on your book, what parts of your book or what part of your book, not only is maybe your favorite, but maybe what was for you or your audience was the most impactful? Yeah, there's so many of them that I really like. And I, I do want to say the the book is an untraditional book, right? It's It's a collection of essays. There's no narrative. You can read it front to back, back to front. My dream for this book is to just be a little guide for you that you can carry on your journeys with you in your backpack, in your bag or whatever. Maybe there's a particular entry you like. You've annotated something in the column. You've circled, underlined, highlighted something that really resonated with you so that when you're faced with that situation, you can refer back to the book and be like, oh yeah, that's how I should act in this moment. And so the ones that have really resonated or, or that I really enjoyed writing was, it's called Satin Sheets. And what that one basically is, and each entry is kind of inspired by something that's happened in my life or something I researched, whatever. So this one, there's so many books, there's so much knowledge, so many influences out there talking about, okay, how do you get to the top? How do you become the best in your field? How do you become the best at what you do? And they say hustle culture and hard work and belief and manifestation. There's all sorts of that out there. But what there really isn't is, okay, well, once you've gotten to that point, how do you actually stay there? How do you continue stoking the fire? How do you continue being motivated and energized? And the direct example here that I make in the book and that I draw the inspiration from is, so I work on my podcast mainly in mixed martial arts, the UFC, for those of you who don't know. Conor McGregor, is the biggest star the sport has ever seen. You've probably heard of him, even if you don't follow sport. He's ridiculously wealthy. He's made far more money in this sport than any ever athlete ever has. Top five, top 10, highest paid athlete in the world. Massive star, massive following. He got there with everything I said. Hard work, determination, self-belief, being a little bit delusional. That's the kind of the, the characteristic of all truly great people. And then he tasted the championships and the glory and the fame and the red carpets and the cars and the clothes and the women and the attention and the adoration and the followers and the sponsorships. And now he's nothing like the guy he used to be. He's bought into his own hype too much. He's always having allegations thrown his way legally. He's had many legal troubles over the years. He's won one fight in the last like four or five years. One of his fights got really, really ugly. There was a brawl after one of his fights. He's lost a large majority of the fan base that brought him to the heights that he was at. Yeah. And I've heard from people in his circle that he doesn't really have any friends, that he has all this stuff, but because of what it's done to him, he's kind of lost a lot of it. So that was something that was really interesting for me to write. And it's a question I will continue to study for the rest of my life is... Okay, we, we know how to get to the top. It's easier said than done. But once you're there, how do you make sure that all of the stuff and the accolades doesn't get the best of you? Yeah, and I want to dig into that because I think I know there's a ton of ambiguity because it's all very subjective. I've supported, I would like to think as myself as nearing the very top or getting there, not only with my career, but just in my life. And I think that's where the subjectivity kind of comes in is it's up to you to define what the top looks like. 
Something that I've seen that's really common, really and more so as you're talking about public figures, is hyperambition and contentment and the clash between the two. I think that delusion plays a heavy part in getting you to the top, really reaching, being really careful what voices you entertain, internal and external. But once you're there, at what point do you become content? At what point does hyperambition start to hurt you? At what point does hyperambition start to make you unhappy? That's something that I've seen across the board is once you get to the top, there's this fear of losing it. There's this fear that people are going to expose you for who you really are, whatever the hell that means. I've heard that just across the board from people who don't even know each other, but are in very similar positions across industries. And I think you make a really good point there. And really with just Conor McGregor is... I don't think he ever defined those things for him, for himself. And I think that there's a level of empathy I have because what got you there won't get you to where you want to go next. And I think it's really important to stop and think about the things you're talking about in this book, which is, right, what does success look like for you? Is it time to reinvent yourself? Is it time to be content? Is it time to do nothing? One of my favorite stories, I work with someone that is at the top of their field and they did one of the biggest things they could do in their career. And the day of them being there, I got a phone call and it was, this is actually the most unhappy I've ever been. I don't know what to do next. How am I going to stay here? My anxiety is through the roof. They've kind of like set this world up for themselves that once they get there, it's not the reality. And that career, that situation starts running their lives as opposed to them running it for them. So the things that I always preach about getting unstuck and I think the similarities that they potentially run into is when you're at the top, when you've worked really hard, when you've been super delusional, we've been focused on one thing, you've stopped exploring, you've stopped making connections, you've stopped changing your environment. There's a lot of similarities that I see. Anything that I'm talking about, did you find that in your research? Did you talk about that in your book? I'm just really curious because that's something that I just continue to see and I'm trying to make sure in my own life that I'm careful of that I don't fall into that same trap. Yeah, I love everything you just said there. One of my favorite words, along with surrender, the name of the book, is enough. Mm. I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves. What is enough for you? And I think a guy like Conor McGregor or those, or you know, like the person that you referenced, haven't asked themselves that question. I've got enough. I reached the point a year or two ago where I've got enough based on my values. I have the ability to travel as much as I want. I work for high-profile people on impactful shows that are heard by tens of thousands of people around the world, and they make their day. I've got really good support system. My creativity is on point. I feel empowered to do everything I need to do. I, mm. I've got enough. I've got everything I could ever want. So... I certainly could. There's certainly more heights I could get to. I work. I could work on bigger and better shows. I could set my sights on being Joe Rogan's producer. I could set myself on my eyes on working for the next great company and get another zero on the paycheck. I could go for all of those things. But I've set my life up in such a way where I don't need those things. The amount of money I make is congruent to the lifestyle I want to lead for myself. I've done Mm -hmm. a lot of self-reflection to know that like, all right, this is the amount of money I need and this is the amount of financial freedom or the freedom I within my job I need to live the kind of life 
that I envision for myself because I kind of via minimalism know what's truly important in life. So that's what I think about. And then on that same note, the cost of ambition mm. is always wanting more, right? You never know when to stop. And so I, I reference in the book, like a football player, for example, an NFL player will say, gosh, it's just my dream to win the Super Bowl. When I win the Super Bowl, I will be the happiest man on earth. I will never ask God for anything more. I don't care if, like, I don't care if yeah. anything else happens. I just want to win that Super Bowl. Then six years into their career, they win that coveted Super Bowl. And for a couple of weeks, they do all the parades and the celebrations, and they're adored. And they go to Disney World and they're on the commercials and they get bigger followings and more fans and they're signing stuff and all that's great. And then four weeks after that, they are in a moment of solitude and they're like, nothing's changed. <laughs> like what next? <laughs> nothing no, nothing, nothing <laughs> yeah. has changed. I thought this was going yeah. to change my life. Mm. So now I have to adjust the goalpost to the next thing. Okay, well, one Super Bowl didn't give me the happiness I wanted. Well, what if I go for two Super Bowls? What if I go for the next big contract? What if I go for Super Bowl MVP? Yeah. And a lot of the most ambitious people do that. The thing that they think is going to get them to happiness or contentment doesn't actually happen when they reach that thing. So then they just keep striving and keep putting their eggs in that basket, expecting different results. But if you keep doing that and you don't feel the contentment, well, it's because something internally isn't right. You need to address that. You need to ask yourself in those idle moments, what do I really want for my life? What is my version of enough? And not enough of us do that. I absolutely love that. Especially just the piece of defining for yourself and talk about actionable steps. Just the people listening, like try that as an exercise. Like what is your definition of enough? And I'll just tell you, it's very triggering. It's yeah. overwhelming. It's a lot. And it's something that I constantly check in with. I always say, and this is something that I talk to my mentees about, this is something that I was fortunate to be aware of young, but I always say that you're only as good as you are in stillness. Mm. And that is where I think, like you mentioned in your last example, I hear it countless amount of times when everyone's gone, when, every, when all the lights are off and you're by yourself at eight o'clock on a couch on a mundane Wednesday. What are you telling yourself? What are those conversations like? If they're anything like mine, and again, this is a spiral staircase. I haven't solved this. There are days where I'm on the couch. I haven't done enough. I need to do this, that, and the other. Oh my God, I'm freaking out. There are days where I'm like, life's pretty good because I've gotten to check off three things today. I've, I've moved. I've gotten to do things that I wanted to do. So I just challenge everyone to not only take Troy's advice of like, what's enough, but start to take accountability and also start looking at and being more aware of what are you like in stillness? And the thing that I always find is some of the most ambitious people are honestly never still. Never. Ever. And the ones that are, are the people that we see probably most often, like the Gary V's of the world, et cetera. They've found this balance. Yep. And I know stillness is a privilege. It really is. Being able to have teams, being able to delegate, being able to really focus on what you do. But those two things, Troy, like you got, I already wrote notes. Like, I'm going to go do this again later. Like, what's enough for me? What does my life look like in stillness? Yeah. So I really appreciate that take. That was a great take. On top of that, I say in the book, I think technological distraction is one of the most pressing issues that we face in our times, especially 
yeah. among our generation. I think technology has advanced us so much. Like social media is very good for us in many ways. We also know about the perils. Artificial intelligence yeah. is very good. We also know about the risks that are coming. And I'm very curious to see how all of that shakes out. But because of how easy it is to just scroll TikTok, any time we hit any friction in our day, we come across a problem we don't know how to solve. Well, let me open TikTok, maybe come back refreshed, open Instagram, we're on our phones all day messaging. The thing that gets me, so, like, why are we using our phones at the urinals, like in the men's bathroom, like just as a quick aside? <laughs> I laugh every time. I don't understand. <laughs> I That's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. You, you're telling me you can't pee for 12 seconds? <laughs> Without being entertained? <laughs> Without being entertained. Must we have the screens at the gas station while I pump my gas for 38 oh seconds? What are we doing I mean, here? Troy, those puppy videos are pretty cute. I get it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course. <laughs> You're right. But it's because of this distraction yeah. that we don't evaluate our lives. We don't self-reflect. A lot of people are so uncomfortable with their own thoughts. It's so easy to distract yourself. Isn't it funny that, um, you know, I'm sure you've heard this data point all the time that the hardest thing in the world to do is sit in a room alone for 10 minutes with nothing. There was a, a famous study. I can't remember when it was conducted in psychology, but they put people alone in a room for, I think 10 minutes was the expectation. And if you wanted to get out earlier, you could administer a shock to yourself. And more than 50% of people opted for the shock because they That's didn't crazy. want to just sit with themselves for that long. And today with our even shorter attention spans, we don't want to do that. The mind can be an uncomfortable place. The mind has a lot of dark thoughts in there. It's a scary place, especially in your 20s. There's, there's a lot of skeletons in that closet and we're afraid to face them. But you've got to. If you want to live the best life, you have to come face to face with those thoughts in your mind or else you're never going to ask yourself what's enough. You're going to never ask yourself what your core values are, what you're looking for in your life, all those things. Troy, this has been an amazing conversation. Tell us how we can support you. The best way is to get the book, Surrender, a Guide to Living Your Best Life in Your 20s. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, paperback, ebook. If you get the book and just let me know, you know, you can uh, hit me up on Instagram at Troy underscore Farkas. Curious to hear your thoughts. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me what you disagree with. I'm still forming my own opinions. Listen, like we're just getting this party started here. I'm going to have another book and another book and another book. And I want to keep refining, keep developing, not staying stuck in my ways, keep challenging myself. That's the best way to support also the Found Generation Self-Improvement Podcast, which I should have you on. Definitely want Let's to do get, it. Definitely want to oh, get that do it. done. Let's consider it done. Hell yeah. I can't wait. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. All the choice links will be below. Thank you, Troy. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked Podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok. 